Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Closely to the scripture from Luke 3, 21 through 22, to hear what God is saying to us today. When everyone was being baptized, Jesus also was baptized. While he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit came down on him in bodily form like a dove. And there was a voice from heaven, you are my son, whom I dearly love, in you I find happiness. May God add a blessing to the hearing, reading, and understanding of these words. Good morning. My name is Colton Lott. I am the student pastor uh, with great privilege, joy, honor, and all the other good words. Uh, Emily, who is the pastor here, Emily McGinley, is off at our one of our other sites, Edgewater. Uh, so you get B team, but that's okay. Uh, I, I promise it's like 90% is good. Would you pray with me, please? Holy God, come into this space for a new moment. Help us to see and to hear and to know something new, something holy, something life-giving. Work through me in spite of me and help me to stay in my own lane. Particularly on this Memorial Day, God, we remember those who have been killed in war and violence and combat. And until the time comes in which there is true peace, we lament. Amen. You might think that I'm crazy when I tell you this, but Easter was less than two months ago because it seems like 2017 is a never-ending saga and that we've lived a whole lot more life than the actual time that's gone by, but it's only been six weeks. And I mention that because some of you are here and some of you weren't, and I don't really care if you were or not, but if you were here, you got to witness something really important. It's one of the minor miracles that makes life uh, uh, something we celebrate instead of something we endure. You got to see baby Amelia Armstrong welcomed into the body of Christ through baptism. Hi, Armstrongs. Sorry for springing that on you. I'm going to talk about your daughter a little bit. It's not weird. And so all of us who are here in the church, we took our little Dixie cups of water. They were under your seat. And then we filled a carafe on the, t uh, the communion table which was then poured into a font. And we took baby Amelia in her little baptismal gown and she was splashed with water, being washed with God's love three times over. Once in the name of God the parent, God the child, and God the Holy Spirit. Baptism is one of those traditions that we carry on, like Grant said, from a church long ago. Even though we're a church that tries to do church differently, uh, even in our novelty, we practice some rituals that are as old as Christianity itself. Passing the peace, 
testimony, later communion. Those are those ancient practices along with baptism. If you have a particularly good memory, you might remember that you were asked to do something during that ceremony. It was you were, you were called to remember the waters of your own baptism. And so I thought that was really funny because we're sitting in a church that's affiliated with the Methodist, and I realized some of you all might physiologically be unable to remember your baptism because you were baptized as an infant or a young child. Regardless, the call was for all of us to remember the waters of your baptism. Even those who haven't been baptized, whatever, whatever this thing baptism means, that call was for them too. And so I got to thinking, maybe, surely, this remembrance has something more to do than just water on skin and hearing cries being spoken aloud. Because I was baptized as an older child, that's part of my tradition, but I can, only, I can recall the events really well, but I don't know if that's actually as helpful as remembering, and those terms are important. I can recall that our church had a water heater, so it wasn't an uncomfortable experience, and I can recall the really tall pastor, his name was Keith, tilting me back into the water, like, and I can recall that we use a tub and it looks like a coffin, But these memories don't help me remember the waters of my baptism, no matter how paradoxical that may seem. And part of that is because when I was baptized, no one really explained to me what was happening. I was told this was the way you formally enter the body of Christ, and that sounded great. I liked Jesus a lot when I was a kid. I still kind of like the guy as an adult. And so getting more like Jesus, getting into this body of Christ, sounded like a pretty good thing. I'll do it. But what did it mean? And so that's the text that we're coming in today, which is all about baptism. And I think that our sermon series on failing boldly has some resources to answer this question of what does baptism mean then? And it can be helpful for those of us who remember or recall our baptism, or for those of us who just remember it, or for those of us who haven't been baptized yet. I think the spiritual act of remembering baptismal waters has something to say to all of us. So this selection, the scripture from Luke, uh, is very, very short. I don't think I've ever preached on a, a little section this small, which is really cool. But the baptism story of Jesus is particular. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all agree that this happened and the Gospel of John, which is an oddball in a lot of ways, even the Gospel of John has a reference to Jesus being flocked on by the spirit dove, which is a backwards way of talking about Jesus' baptism without actually talking about Jesus' baptism, because that's totally something that would happen over in the Gospel of John, but we're not going to talk about the Gospel of John today. What's important is that all four of them agree that it happened, and it's important. And so that makes it very important for us. Baptism is the start of the ministry for Jesus. He was baptized, and a son come, and a voice from heaven calls him a son. You don't just hear it, you see it. It's this, it's this dove, too. And Jesus isn't just a son. He's a loved son. And he isn't just a loved son. He's a loved son that brings God happiness. This is going to be probably the most academic thing I've ever tried to do in this space, and I'm really sorry for that, but I think it's important that we try to define what baptism is then. 
And I think baptism is the recognition of a God-given identity. Remember the waters of your baptism. Remember that baptism is the recognition of your God-given identity. And so we see this play in this story. I think it's why we continue to baptize one another. Through Jesus, the human-bound understanding of who God is was changed radically, and it continues to be radically changed. Jesus continues to teach us about who God is. He gave us the insider info in a world of fake news. He was a child of God. He gathers up children like hens gathering chicks. And we're reminded that our identity is bound in this too. Just as Jesus was called a son, so Jesus teaches us that God cares so much that we are called children too. It's not baptism that makes it so, but it's baptism that proclaims this to us. You are a child of God. And we're children of God because God, the creator, said yes to creation, and a humanity especially, said yes to being our God, said yes to being in the long haul of restoring creation back to its original goodness. And so we are children, children of God. And there is no theological statement, no thing that this church can say that's more disruptive and more subversive to a culture of disposability than to say that everything in creation and all the humans that we know and all the humans we don't know are children of God. And so until that moment, when this deepest truth is realized for all people in all times, then the church must make the proclamation of it. And that's why this church says that black lives matter. That's why this church says that human rights are women's rights, and women's rights are human rights. That's why we say that LGBTQ and SGL folks have the right to choose and to live their lives full and free from discrimination. It's why this church says that science is real and that climate change is happening and it affects the poorest of the world most of all. Anything less violates the waters of our baptism. Baptism is the recognition of a God-given identity which activates us for love and justice. Remember the waters of your baptism. Remember that baptism is the recognition of a God-given identity that activates us for love and justice. So in the next scene in the story, Jesus is baptized. He gets to be tempted by the wilderness. We spent like seven weeks together in the wilderness, so you know about that. And Jesus becomes a teacher, and not just any teacher, but a preacher who speaks words of life. And so in his first sermon, Jesus opens the scroll to the words of Isaiah the prophet, this is over in Luke 4, and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord, the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners, and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This was Jesus' mission statement. This is what his baptism made him capable of realizing. And so when we lay claim to our God-given identity, just as Jesus did, it has consequences for our lives. We don't get to play nice when it's clear that God's love and justice always show up together. Jesus was a manifestation of God's love, a love that was so powerful, so infinite, that it took on the finite form of a human. It became a body. It walked with the joys and pains of our human life. And Jesus was a manifestation of God's justice. When folks don't have enough to eat because they're not paid enough to be able to buy food, when folks are incarcerated by a state that cares more about profit than lives, when folks who are differently abled are constantly othered and are unable to lead lives of fullness, all of this violates the waters of our baptism. 
And to round out our definition, baptism is the recognition of God-given identity, which activates us for love and justice, even when we inevitably fail. Remember the waters of your baptism. Remember that baptism is the recognition of a God-given identity, which activates us for love and justice, even when we inevitably fail. Jesus wasn't always a resounding success. God's love and justice were so intrusive to a limited human imagination that they caused Jesus to be betrayed, denied, convicted, and killed. When we access our belovedness, when we say that we're children of God, we get a glimpse of this, this, uh, this identity. But even though it's a glimpse, it's a really powerful one. And it's so powerful that on the one hand, it causes us to share the goodness and the work that we have to do to ensure that all experience wholeness of life, but it never promises success. Indeed, it sets us up to fail more often than we have a win. This is, this is the hardest part for me to conceptualize, so I'm going to lead you through it and if you don't stay along, that's okay, because I'm not sure I am either. But baptism is a deed committed by water, which is an ordinary element, and it's also a deadly element. Uh, I was a swimmer in high school, and the reason I mention that is because it's, I had this conversation with my coach when I felt really self-important, and we talked about how it's really psychological when you're swimming, because if you stop moving, you die. That's like the biggest thing in swimming that you're competing against is not dying. If you have too much water, it will kill you. And if you don't have enough, it will also kill you. In the holy text that we use, the Bible, uh, you will find that water represents chaos and monsters and the destruction of all life through floods terrible and great. And yet water can also symbolize new life and hope and healing. The text has it both ways, and so we have to take it both ways. We're ambiguous when we think that we alone are the ones that bend the moral arc of the universe, or when we think that if we let go, it doesn't matter, either way violates the waters of our baptism. Even more mundane, when we think that we single-handedly can save a spouse, when we single-handedly can rescue our loved ones, or when we single-handedly can save our siblings, or when we think that we don't matter, or when our presence is for naught, all of those things, not living in that ambiguity, not realizing that we will fail, that violates the waters of our baptism. So now that I've told you about this thing called baptism, what good is it? I think the good is seen in a different story. Simon Peter is a complicated character. He's one of the first to be called a student of Jesus, basically besties with the Messiah. He realized that Jesus, he, first re, he was the first one to realize that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter was the rock on which Jesus would build his church, and Peter is also the one who would deny Jesus on the same night that Judas would betray him. It was a tragic moment. In case you've never heard the story uh, all of the students of Jesus were gathered around what would be Jesus' last supper, and Jesus warned them that it was about to go down very, very poorly. And everyone's like, no, 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 we'll be with you. And even Peter. 
Jesus, in his clairvoyance, clairvoyance, called Peter out and said, Look, buddy, before the the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. And it came to pass, just as Jesus said. Peter failed, like, big time. That's not the end of the story. We know that historically because the man named Simon, but called Peter, went on to guide the church. Next week is the birthday of the Big C Church, and it's when the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove again, and we all wear red to church, and uh, Peter is the person that we lift up in that story. And so this thing called the church, a collection of people who have a God-given identity which activates them for love and justice, even when they inevitably fail, was born through his help, the failure. And yet, despite that failure, despite the screw-up, despite the fact that it seemed like his story was done, the basis of his deepest identity as a child of God could not be washed away. Because that is the good news of baptism. Baptism proclaims that we can't wash off the love that God has for us. We cannot wash off what God has washed on. It's the good news and it's the hard news. We are loved by God. You are a child of God. Olga Kazan in The Atlantic wrote an article entitled Why Self-Compassion Works Better Than Self-Esteem. In the article, Kazan interviews Kristen Neff, She's a psychology professor from the University of Texas who lays out the problem like this. She says, it's pretty common that in order to have high self-esteem, you have to feel special and above average. When we fail, self-esteem deserts us, which is precisely when we need it most. Keeping up with the Joneses feels great until you can't. And the problem is that the self-esteem as espoused in American culture requires us not only to keep up with, but be better than the Joneses. And so in the rat race of comparisons, not only do we turn all judgy, but we are forced to lie to ourselves in order to have any semblance of worth. Literally, no one can be above average all the time. It's statistically impossible. And so we build an idol. We build our Facebook self, the person that we want people to think that we are. We fabricate an identity, and at worst, we begin to believe it. So instead, Neff suggests that we use self-compassion. And what she means by the term is that you're treating yourself with the same kind of kindness and care, compassion, as you would want, as you would treat those that you care about, your good friends, your loved ones. It says that self-compassion does this work, and it's, I think it's the ability to lift up our real identities, the God-given ones, when our fake ones inevitably fail, when the idol of self-deception and one-upmanship just can't hold anymore. Thankfully, we have an example of how one would treat a friend that you really love, which is the second part of Simon Peter's story. The Gospel of John has his uh, redemption scene my favorite story in the Gospels. Jesus asked three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter, more exasperated than ever, says, yes, yes, you know that I love you. And Jesus responds with three ways. Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Jesus holds Peter in compassion. He reminded the man named Simon, but called Peter, that he had a job to do. His failure didn't stop the fact that he was a child of God, activated for love and justice. Indeed, 
being a child of God was proclaimed with the full knowledge that he would be a failure in some ways. He wasn't always going to get it right. His worst failures, though, could not wash away what God had washed on. Not all of us get to be fishing buddies with Jesus, and that's okay. We can do some of this work on our own, like Kazan suggests, through self-compassion, but it's also really important to have communities like this, because this is what we do for one another. You can't baptize yourself. I'm a failure from time to time. And by math, I know you are too. And I can quickly and easily call up the things that I think are the worst that I've ever done. I can quickly and easily think of the ways that I've been a waste of space or time or humanity or whatever I want to say. I can quickly and easily think of the people that I've hurt. And I bet you can too. And it really hurts me when I really think about it, and I suspect it would for you too. Remembering the waters of our baptism is remember that there's something that we can't ruin. We don't have it in us. We don't have the power to ruin it. There's a substance that we can't just brush off of ourselves. We can't even scrape it off. It won't tarnish. There's a finish on us that we can't wash off. Remember the waters of your baptism. As you read about the baptism of Jesus, remember your waters. Remember the waters of baby Amelia. Remember that you are God's child whom God dearly loves. In you, God finds happiness.